Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. This week, we recap the GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course from last weekend. Plus, we'll look at practice so far this week, make our sure-to-be-completely-wrong qualifying predictions for this weekend. <laughs> we got to keep it going. I mean, we've been yeah. completely wrong for we the were, most part. We were so, so wrong far. last year, it was laughable. Well, in this season, picking winners hasn't been great either. No. No, it is not. So, we'll start... With the GMR Grand Prix, Colton Herta took an early move by pitting on lap three, switching from the Firestone rain tires onto Firestone slicks, and it paid off. He went from 14th to start the race into the lead as he had an incredible save and slide job and then was able to pass Pato Award for the lead. And this was a wild race that went back and forth and back and forth as far as do you pit for rain tires do you pit for slicks and some people got it right some people got it wrong for some people they got it wrong but they got it right because everyone else had to do the same thing and in the end it worked out as colton herta picked up his first win of the season his seventh of his career in a rain shortened race that was quite entertaining i might add probably the most entertaining race of the season one of the wildest most chaotic races i think in several years in the ntt indycar series and with that, we'll start with our three takeaways. I think the first one's pretty obvious. Colton Herta was masterful in the wet conditions. They got the strategy right, even when it seemed like it was wrong. And that early move to pit for tires, something that Marco Andretti apparently had, had texted Brian Herta leading up to the race, really paid off. Absolutely. And it was it was the classic strategy in in the rain going to the dry is when do you make the move and Colton Herta you know made the move and and kept it quiet from what it sounded like he was you know he didn't want anybody else to get uh you know aware that he was going to pit so early and made it happen and what turned out to be the pivotal call of the race yeah he was very late on the radio because they are nervous I mean this is their strategy going into the race they're very nervous that He'd tip it off too early, so it was a last-second call to the pits. He made the move. No one else followed suit right away, and he came out and was just off the pace of Pato Award. And after, I think, one of the most incredible saves we've ever seen in IndyCar, <laughs> sliding through a turn, it was basically an, a, a drift job. It was a drift, yeah. Gathered it back and was able to get Award a couple corners later. It was just absolutely wild on what he was able to do and keep it from spinning in a day that that pretty much everybody went for a ride at some point or another. But uh, credit to Colton Herta for making the right moves and keeping it on track and and definitely drove his way to a win. It wasn't just a call that put him out front. He had to make some moves and keep it out front and was able to. And in such treacherous conditions, you know, particularly late, he was able to uh, to keep it in front. He really only had one moment that we saw from the broadcast that was even close to going off track, it seemed. I mean, it was just masterful. And with all the action that happened just in the first handful of laps, I I couldn't believe everything was going on. It was hard to keep up because it was just so chaotic and so many drivers going off course, people that you would, would expect, people that you wouldn't expect. And in the end, Colton Herta got it done. So I think that's my first takeaway that – just a masterful job by Herta, and 
really sets him up well for the rest of the month of May and the rest of the season back in the championship fight. I know we're not talking points, but he needed a good result, and he finally got one. Definitely, and we're only uh, you know just over a, a week or so till we can start talking points. In two two episodes from now, we'll be talking that is true. points. It'll be a whole three hour show, three hour <laughs> podcast on the point standings. Yes, we'll go number by number. Yes, so we'll, we'll, we'll start, do it through the field. We'll do it through the field, <laughs> starting at the bottom. Yes, can't wait. And and that would be the one-off drivers in the 500, most likely. Yeah, we'll start at, at 33 or whatever yeah. it want to be. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. <laughs> Justin, what's your first takeaway? No, uh, I'm going to go the balance, the competitive balance. Nine drivers in the top nine representing nine different teams, I want to say. And yeah. that was incredible because while we do talk about, well, you know, consistently there's only two or three, four, maybe five teams that are consistent threats to win races. This did show the competitive balance that is in the series in terms of being able to put in the top 10 and top five. And uh, really cool to see, you know, Connor Daly had a great weekend or a great Saturday uh, to see him come fifth was, was really cool to see Felix Rosenquist probably finally put it together. Of course, you know, both McLaren drivers can't finish towards the front in any one race. So that's why Pato awards down in 19th, but um, you know, Callum Eilat, a great performance. Uh, Christian Lungard was buoyed by talking to us last week. That's right. And turned it into a top 10 finish. So, you know, a lot to like elsewhere in the field. And when you have a dynamic like we saw Saturday at the Speedway, rain, dry, rain, making decisions, it can really shake some things up. And I think we were able to witness that on, on Saturday through the field. Yes, you're correct with the nine different teams represented in the top nine. Just we talk all the time about Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, and I think you throw in McLaren with that. Probably even you could put them above Andretti as far as how they're performed the past season and a half or so. But to see that kind of parity that we have not seen, you know, a lot of times, especially this season with Penske going out and winning the first three races, a complete shift here in this event absolutely was and at least for you know that's you know like i mentioned that's kind of the chaos that could ensue the the unpredictability that can ensue when you have a race like this and we saw it happen all right you mentioned a lot of guys who had great performances you're going to talk about somebody negative that's my job (laughs) well the tables have turned and i must say between alex below who went off in the grass and then got stuck on track in Joseph Newgarden, who had contact with, I believe, Scott McLaughlin and someone else, it was a disastrous day from the start as Newgarden finishes in 25th, and then Alex Blow somehow comes in in 18th. Newgarden several laps down. Pelot only finished one lap down in the 75-lap uh, shortened race due to the time limit. But just a disastrous day in the championship for both of them, and I, I think the other thing is, I don't know if I had expectation for either of them in the rain, but I guess I was just so shocked to see drivers of that caliber struggle so much. Well, we do need to make note that it's the, it is the first race 
wet race that we've seen with the aero screen. And I think we'll yes. talk a little bit more about that here later on. But it, it did throw a wrench or an added dynamic into that race where it really even the playing field that everybody for the first time was racing with the arrow screen in the wet. So uh, some people were able to handle it, some people weren't. And sometimes it was basically just a byproduct of where you were on track and if uh, you had drivers around you or in front of you or behind you to whether you could see or not. So uh, it really, really had a added a radical dynamic to the race. Well, and with that, I mean, you might as well just go into, I'm guessing one of your takeaways is the aero screen performance. Yeah, let's talk about that. And, I, and I'm and i not going to here to knock the aero screen because it has proven its worth tenfold at this point. And this is how the series learns is no matter how many times you test or simulate any issues with the aero screen. And let's be honest, the majority of the testing, I'm sure, was impact testing and all that is you can only predict so much when it comes to handling the weather. And from from what several drivers said towards the end of the race, you basically couldn't see in that heavier rain the 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 water just wasn't going anywhere so whether it's some sort of rain x type thing they can put on the aero screen or some sort of tear offs that they can do i'm not sure but you know at, at the very least it was a good simulation on track actual event that uh, IndyCar now can go back and examine to make some potential changes to the aero screen or at least the the surface to to kind of get rid of that uh, that water a little bit. Yeah, and Marcus Erickson, who I happened to see at lunch on Sunday in Carmel, ironically, um, he had some interesting comments on his Twitter account talking about the the aero screen and, and what he thought. He said, "Are you aero screen after yesterday?" This is obviously from Sunday. My view from my car, it worked well. The visibility issues uh, were coming from all the standing water and spray, mainly on the straights. You could hardly see because of it. Done many races in the past in similar conditions with same problems. It didn't fog up, and it cleared the water well. Racing big formula cars in heavy rain will always be a challenge because of all the water they kick up, but I'm happy IndyCar let us race in these conditions. I hope you enjoyed watching. So he didn't seem to have any complaints. I know some drivers talked about when... It was wet. You know, obviously it's going to be impossible to see on the straights, but then when it kind of dried out a little, there'd be mud and dirt, grass, whatever, grime on the aero screen until they pitted with the tear off. They had all that in the way and they couldn't see very well. Well, I think it becomes, you know, simple enough that, you know, when we didn't have the aero screen, it was just open cockpit. It was as simple as tearing off, you know, a tear off on your visor. Right. And now there's really no way to clear that screen off until you come in to get a tear off right so is there some way they can build some sort of tear off that you can access from inside the cockpit i'm not sure but um this you know will probably you know give indycar credit that they'll they'll get this thing worked on and and corrected as soon as possible i think overall look you're not going to get perfect visibility but the fogging issue was one of the things I was concerned about, I know they have built-in technology with the aero screen and that they can actually like defog from the cockpit. They have a system set up for that. And that didn't really seem to be an issue, right? 
No, it just seemed to kind of be the uh, the wet. And you know how it is driving in in the rain. And not only do you get rain, but you get dirt and grime. And, you know, that's just driving on city streets, let alone uh, a racetrack. And whether it's, you know, marbles getting thrown up and then they stick to the, to the arrow screen because of the wet, I'm not sure. But, you know, it, it goes with the territory of a wet race. You know, we've... I don't know if we've been blessed without a wet race for what a couple of years. I mean, it was yeah, the first you, one you, of the Aeroscreen era. You go back to what the Indy GP in 2019 when Simon Pagano won. Yeah, that's the last one I can think. Of. I know Barber's had some races rained out over the years uh, that have been moved, but I can't really think of one that was fully run in the rain. So, so I think you go back to then. Yeah, so just like you know, you examine the arrow screen after every impact and how that affects the the structure. You're going to do the same thing now with an actual event that had rain, and they'll make some adjustments for sure. Now, whether they make some adjustments in time for this season, that'd be tough to say. But um, I, I imagine the next time we come around, let's say next year, if there's rain at a road or street course, I, I feel like IndyCar will will have a solution. Yeah, I think this is something where they'll take away the data and the feedback from the drivers and see what they can improve. And look, you know, part of it is when you race in the wet, your vision is going to be impaired, right? That's just no matter what you do, no matter what. So the the issue, you know, you want to solve and alleviate the problem of just stagnant water sitting on the aero screen, which it sounds like was an issue. But in terms of not being able to see more than 10, 15 feet ahead of you or whatever, that's the point of racing in the wet. That's why, you know, the races are slower. But, you know, sometimes the guy that, that creeps around and, and doesn't you know, barrel into blind corners and turns sometimes is is the guy that comes out in front of those races. So uh, it's a little bit of, yeah, we need to solve that, but also this is kind of goes with the territory. And I saw there were some calls for maybe adding a windshield wiper or something like with sports cars like they have at Le Mans. I don't know how feasible that is. You also have to think about costs, right? You you add more stuff, it's more cost. Yeah, Absolutely, and 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 weight too, right? Yes. I mean this 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 car is already heavy enough. It's about to get heavier in a couple of years. So, um, yeah, that's the that's kind of the thing with that is you know, man, now we're just adding something else. And do you really want to mess with that? With the fact that you know, by and large, you're only going to have you know one or two races at most per year where this is even an issue. All right, it's what my third takeaway. Yes, you're number three. All right, I'll, I'll just. Go with this. Quite simply, being at the race, at the track for this event, compared to watching it on NBC. And NBC does a a solid job. Don't get me wrong. But watching this at the track was way more entertaining than watching the replay on NBC. I guess that's my takeaways. I thought the in-person experience, despite the weather, was great. I thought I sat just in the – or stood, basically, in the infield turn one of the road course, turn four of the oval – was that you throwing the empty beer cans no. onto the race? Okay. No, that was not me. <laughs> that wasn't a thing, folks. Don't, it's don't a go joke. to try to find a yeah. YouTube yeah. clip of that. Not trying to out anyone here. Um, I thought the experience was great at the track. Started off, again, as a dry experience. I mean, there was a little bit of rain. There was a bit of a delay. Got out there. And... From having the video board behind me to see everything, the PA, watching on-track action, it's a great spot to watch that race. I, I really enjoy it. 
and I thought it was entertaining. And then once it started to really pick up, we went under basically the tower terrace covering there that's just, you know, what, 100 feet away? Yeah. And watched from the video board there and followed on the phone, and I thought it was a great experience. It was not hot. It wasn't? I was not sweaty. I didn't have to put on sunscreen. But it wasn't cold either. It wasn't it was cold. Perfect. And I had a good time. And I, I look, if you want to take like your kid who's young to a race, take them to this race if you have the ability to, if you're anywhere close, because I think it's a great introduction to the sport. It's low key, it's more family friendly, and you don't have to worry about getting there five hours early or deal with hassles, parking or crowds or really long lines. Of course, there are long lines at some points just because everyone is undercover uh, during parts of this race for the concession stands. But it's just overall, it's a great event to take a first time race attendee or a new fan. And I think the experience in person was great. I thought watching the race on NBC, it was good, but you just can't top that experience in person, especially with everything that went on the first handful of laps in this race. Well, I feel like, and, and NBC did a good job showing people in in the crowd and on the the hills and everything. Is it really showcased why people gravitate towards you know road courses? Is you know they would show moms and dads and they're sitting there and they're watching and drinking, but you know they show clips of the kids throwing around the football or they showed kids you know rolling down the mounds and stuff. They're doing other stuff, you know. Once they start losing interest in the race cars, and when you're at an oval in aluminum bleachers, sitting there and you're taking your kid, like they better be locked into the race because there's nothing yes. else to do. Correct. You know what I mean? So when we talk about you know family friendly races. This is one of them. And, you know, a lot of adults and, and us included are grumbling, and you know, why don't people go to, to ovals? This is why a lot of people don't go to ovals. It's because they have families, they have kids, they have sons and daughters that they have to entertain, right? And if they're not locked in for three, four hours of sitting in an aluminum bleachers, then what are you going to do? So it's a perfect event to take your kids. And that's why there's so many families you see at Mid-Ohio and Road America and Barber and all this stuff is it's just, it's, it's fun to take kids, you know? So they have other avenues. There's room to spread out and do other things while the race is going on. So absolutely. It looked like a, a great event, you know, crowd wise. Was it, you know, pretty solid yeah. for the GP? I mean, I have no way of knowing for the GP, but by all things, it was, I guess, the biggest crowd I've read for the two days. They were at 65,000, the biggest crowd since the first one, I think. So Excellent. It was a good crowd on hand. There was a good crowd last year for the same event, but this was even stronger. And I think the other key that I didn't mention, so took my nephew and also met with one of my friends who took one of his sons and... The best part is kids under 12 are free with general admission paid adults. So that is huge, and that is how you can get new fans involved. And look, NBC being on big NBC, streaming on Peacock, these are great options. But if there's a race that you want to attend that's fairly inexpensive, that's easy to get to, that's not going to take up the entire day, is a great introduction. I think that's why I like this event because it's very laid back, low key, and, and great for families. And I've kind of knocked the GP before, and look, I, I more have a problem with the uh, the second road course race. Than I would the first agree with one. that. But you mentioned it's a good introduction, right? So it's a good introduction to families, to young kids. It's also a good introduction to the month. I won't deny that, and it, I think it's a good introduction for the teams. And you know, you always hear it. 
in terms of being able to come to Indy for the GP and you you start working on your garages? Because I think that's becoming more and more of a, of a thing is really decking out your garages. And I think, you know, I think, you know, Schmidt-Peterson kind of started that, I feel, when they started really, really putting some investments into their garages in terms of the displays. And now I think you're seeing that more and more. But since you're going to be there for the better part of three weeks, you really kind of have that homely feel. And, you know, of course, you have the... Uh, the um the RVs and stuff for the drivers and all that stuff. So it's just a good intro, I feel, for for the month to get in there for all involved. And way better than just a random practice day, either on Mother's Day, which those didn't seem to draw well in the past, or on the day before. It just it's there's way more buzz. And this week with practice every day, including the rainout day. The infield parking has been full fairly early on in the day. I think a little after noon each day so there's clearly demand to attend practice this year which is great and i get that they have a little bit more limited parking with the dirt track and then the bmw driving experience that was also built in the off season there at ims but there's clearly demand to go to the practice days but for the gp obviously it's a lot bigger event and a lot more demand for sure and was really cool to see you know, the amount of people, even on the outside, like with the turns, like turn one, there just seemed to be a lot more people in turn one in the grandstands than there usually is. So it uh, seemed like a great, you know, kickoff to the month. And I, I think it was perfect weather, like we mentioned, not too hot, not too cold. And, you know, I, I thought overall it was a good kickoff. Now, can can these teams or these drivers, do, do, do am I saying Colton Herta now in the driver's seat for the 500? No, absolutely not. Do I go in and say, well, this is going to screw up Joseph Newgard's entire month? No. So we talked a little bit about that last podcast, but it's a good good primer for everybody to kind of get settled in for the next couple of weeks. All right, your third takeaway. What is my third takeaway? Let me take a look here. And you kind of stole mine a little bit. But, um, <laughs> well, here's something. So we look at just the, you know, once again, we talk, we talk Andretti here. And still, once again, the only proven driver that can win a race at Andretti is Colton Herta. We have Alexander Rossi in 11th. Strategy gone wrong. Looked like if they got it right, he would have been right up there. Could have been. Romain Grosjean, 17th. And again, strategy gone wrong where they stayed out on slicks late and they should have switched to wets. Devlin DeFrancesco, 21st. Never really a factor. And so here we are, a couple weeks away from the 500, and we still are looking at this going... How many bullets does Andretti Autosport really have in the chamber? Because for the last, better part of the last couple of years, the only person that can win a race is Colton Herta. Then you throw in Marco Andretti as the, the fifth car at Indy, which I'll be honest, I would expect him to maybe be the second most competitive car. Yeah, at this point with his history at the 500. So in terms of putting it all together, we, we, we sometimes criticize Andretti Autosport for the move the moves they don't make or the mistakes they make in terms of strategy. It was the correct call for Colton Herta, and then he winged it around there to bring the win and you know lead 50 of the 75 laps. But you know once again, the rest of the team really lacking. I'll be honest. I thought Grosjean, with these conditions, and, and Erickson thrived. Sure. Jack Harvey did really well until a penalty late. 
as well in these type of conditions. Callum Eilat with his best finish of the season. We knew Takuma Sato would probably be up there as long as he could keep it clean, and he did. Ran as high as, I think, second or third. But with Grosjean, again, they, they screwed up the strategy late, but I still expected him to have a lot better race, and it just these are the conditions he's supposed to thrive in, right? And I guess I'm just a bit surprised, especially on a track that he won the pole last year, finished on the podium. He's been great at this track. I get it. It was a different race because it was not run, you know, as a dry race the whole time, but I just expected a better result at the end of the day with Grosjean. I felt like he, you know, once again, maybe he had some bad look it was it was near impossible to put together the perfect strategy for saturday even so, colton Hurta's team got it wrong right once. yeah i mean the, no team was going to bat a thousand in decision making last saturday that's just how it was but you know once again and um, you know it seems like colton Hurta made all the right moves and all the right drives you know for decisions on track for him to bring home a win and and he's the only andretti autosport in the top 10 so you know, a couple times is uh, is coincidence, but you know we've seen enough that it's a trend with with Andretti Autosport is the only one really able to put it together in a weekend is Golden Herta. All right, that wraps up our takeaways. Taking a look at other notes from the race. Obviously, very competitive. We had a lot of passing in this one, and and not a surprise, right? When you have just a chaotic race, this is this is kind of going to be the story. And I think the level of competition was great. I think the strategy calls, it was entertaining. I mean, was this, the be- this is the best race we've had all season, right? I would agree. Now, I don't know how many people have this opinion, but I talked to my dad after he watched the race. He wasn't a fan. Really? He said it lacked flow. You know, the the things that we found exciting about it, the unpredictability, you know, the lack of, you know, any type of plan making sense was some th- things he didn't like. So, I mean, outside of the long caution late, I think part of that was just simply because Scott McLaughlin spun and then they had to reset everything and it created a mess. I thought there was just it was constantly changing. Yes, there was no flow because it was so inconsistent in the conditions, but I thought it was constantly changing. It kept you entertained. It kept you wanting to know what was happening. Right. I feel like the majority of people are like you and I, but uh, there are some psychotics out there, like my father, (laughs) that felt that it was not good because of that. So to each his own, I'm just wondering, as everybody I've heard from and and we've seen on social media and, and stuff have been high on this race. I don't know if there's anybody else out there that has the opinion that my my dad had. Well, we'll get to that on Rate the Race in a bit. And talking about passing on Saturday, 471 total passes of the Indy GP. Former record was 269. Set at the uh, Harvest GP back last August or whatever they call that. 362 (laughs) passes for position. 190 last August, so a lot more. 142 passes completed inside the top 10. So a lot of good competition. I thought this was great. But, as always, does it translate to television? Not this time. Not this time. 998,000 viewers, just a tick below 1 million, 0.60 rating. 
That's TV only. No Peacock numbers have been released for this race, which I find interesting. And that's, I think, a couple in a row. Which tells me they haven't been that good. Yes. Last year, 0.64, million. So not a big change from last year. But I'm surprised it was down and, and, and down. You know, not even that close. I mean, we're talking like, what, one Nielsen box owner probably changed the rating here? <laughs> like, seriously. Right. That, that's how thin the margins are with these rating systems. But I thought this was an entertaining race. Yes, it's not going to get a great number no matter what, just because it's on a middle of a Saturday afternoon. That makes it tough. Also, it does make it tough when you come on the air at 3 and you don't go green till I think it was 3.46. Which I thought they were moving the race up, but then the rain moved in sooner because they had made the decision to move the race up to like 3.07. Yes. But then the rain came and they decided just to move it back. Well, it was lightning in the area, so that's why ah. it kept getting pushed See, they never back. said that on NBC. Really? No. That's the reason why it was pushed back. Well, I think on NBC, they didn't have to say anything because it was basically the original green flag time true but the fact that they'd already put out that it was going to be moved up and then they never said anything so they could at least say you know they never even had like you know the countdown to the command or whatever sometimes they intermittently put that up the time i never knew when that race was going to start yes so so that's a minor quibble i'm not it was lightning delays that kept delay that's why the indy lights race was delayed and then they ran it after the gp but lightning delays kept pushing it the start time back. Eventually, they started basically at the time they expected to before they changed it in the morning. Yeah. It so was, there uh, you go. It was a crazy day, for sure. Couple Turned of, into a great race. Yeah. A couple other nuggets from Calhoun 98, Russ Thompson. By leading the Indy GP Saturday, Tatiana Calderon became the first female to lead an Indy car race since, guess who? Danica Patrick? No. Really? Simona De Silvestro at Baltimore in 2011. Good for Simona. Also, Will Power won his 64th career pole. If you are faux Will Power, you would say 65th because of the 2008 Surfers uh, Paradise <laughs> Exhibition Race. Nonetheless, 64th career pole Friday in qualifying for the Indy GP. Saturday was only the second race in his career. He didn't lead a lap when he started first. The other, 2013 Iowa, when the grid was set by heat races, he qualified second but started first for that race. So there you that. go. And then one other note, Chad 200. There have been seven IndyCar races on the IMS road course race in May. A driver finishing on the podium in the Grand Prix race that year has gone on to win the Indy 500 four times. So you kind of talk about, well, there's really no correlation. There are different types of Maybe races. Maybe there is. Maybe it's more so than you think. Sure. So go out and put money on Herta, Pagino, and Will Power. Exactly. To win the 500. Exactly. So let's look at it. Simon Pagino in 2019, Will Power in 18. I'm trying to think of who the other ones are in previous. Those are the two that I know as far as winning both. Sure. I'm not sure about the rest, but it's, it's a good sign for all three of those drivers. And would I be surprised if any of those three drivers won the Indy 500? No, not at all. Agreed. I I think between Herta and power, especially Pagano has the team and he finally got a good result on the season. All three of them, I think will have an excellent shot. I would agree. And then one other note, this from Nick Yeoman, stat of the day. He says, as I update my notes and work on prep for a week of broadcasting Indy 500 practice, there have been 18 IndyCar races since Scott Dixon's last win. It's the longest he's gone without a victory since the lean Ganassi IRL Toyota days of 2004 and 2005. Wow. 
That's Doesn't sound like wild. a lot until you put that in perspective. That's right. And those were some rough years for that team. Yeah. Wow. Anything else uh, that we missed on this race? Any other comments? I don't think so. It was just uh, it was a wild race all around, and you know it, it's good to mix things up a little bit. I w- I wouldn't take weekend like races like we had on Saturday all the time, but man, mix those in once every couple years, and really, what's the appetite? All right. Well, let's take a look at any five hundred practice Monday or excuse me Tuesday, the first day of practice. Wednesday, a rainout, first time that has happened since 2016, where it was a complete washout. Practice today on Thursday, taking a look at the top time so far. These are not no-toe, so it's kind of hard to gather who has what. Obviously, the boost will be added for Friday, for Fast Friday, and then conditions over the weekend all over the place. Weather-wise, it'll be hot Friday and Saturday, chance of precipitation and storms. Saturday, Sunday, but Saturday will be pushing 90, as is Friday. I mean, not only... Sunday could be hovering below 70 and overcast. Yeah, and not only lower temps, but if those storms move through, we'll wash all the rubber off that track. True. So you have a very green track. So it'll be fascinating. Granted, today it was a very green track as well, due to the washout yesterday. Yeah, true. So, you know, speeds could really fluctuate from Saturday to Sunday just because you have a a car that does well in the heat and the sun doesn't necessarily mean it will be good on track when it's you know ambient temperatures are 15 20 degrees cooler between the 33 drivers it's pretty close I would say two-thirds roughly had their best lap in practice too which was on Tuesday afternoon during the all skate and then the others practice four which was Thursday's session the top drivers on the chart, Sato, nearly 229 miles an hour. Dixon, a couple ticks shy of 228. Then Jimmy Johnson, just below Dixon. Erickson, 227 even. Renus VK in fifth, just a tick below 227. Same with Alex Pillow, just behind him. David Malukas in seventh, 226.8. J.R. Hildebrand, 226.8 as well. Joseph Newgarden in ninth. 226.8 as well. And then, uh, or excuse me, 226.3. Then Tony Kanaan, just a tick below 226.3, rounding out the top 10 from the sessions we've seen so far. I'll be honest, I have no idea what to expect Friday with the added boost and this weekend for qualifying. I don't think either manufacturer has necessarily shown their hand so far. Well, I, who knows at this point? I, I think, do you know, to a certain extent, to you know, this is a spec series. And I, back when it was run with Chabrung and all that stuff, throughout practice, you could really see, okay, these cars are locked in. These are better cars than these cars, or this engine's better than this. I, I really don't feel like we're at a point anymore where we can say either Honda is significantly better than Chevy or vice versa, because, you know, whether they have it at top line speed, do they have it in terms of fuel mileage and all that stuff? At this point, when I look at the combined results, what point what what I kind of look at is total laps. And Sage Karam down there was 68 total laps run this week. Santino Ferrucci at 77 total laps run this week. They're the only two drivers that are under 100 laps run. So when I'm looking at in terms of drivers and teams that are locked in going to the weekend, those are two drivers that I look at as going, what's going on with them? That's kind of what I'm judging, you know, whether the speed or whatever, but in terms of what's going on with those cars. 
Well, Dryan Reinbold said in an interview, I think on racer.com, that they're actually going to focus more on qualifying this year because it's just become a lot harder to move up through the field compared to, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago with the DW12 and now with the UAK18 plus the aero screen, you can't just slingshot your way through the field like you used to be able to, you know, right before the manufacturer aero kit era. Yeah, and I think somebody, uh, a prominence mentioned that, as we'll get to here in a little bit. But, you know, it's a great point. I think, you know, starting position is a lot more valuable in 2022 than it was even three, four, five years ago after the addition of the aero screen. Is it's completely changed how these cars drive at the speedway and how they handle and how they react to different situations. So, uh, to to that point... You know, qualifying very important, but you know, on on one end you're looking at the drivers that have gotten the most experience. Dalton Kellett at 234 laps run, Jimmy Johnson at 232 laps run, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you got Karen with 68, Ferrucci with 77. Is man, those aren't a lot of laps. Not only are they low on the speed chart, they haven't had many laps run comparatively to a lot of other drivers. So, with the schedule for this weekend, Fast Friday practice, noon to 6 Eastern, obviously streaming on Peacock, IndyCar Radio with coverage, IndyCar Live for international fans, and then you get to where we're at on Saturday, and that's where things change up for the schedule. On Saturday, there will be practice from 9 to 10.30 in the morning, again, Peacock, IndyCar Live, IndyCar Radio. Then qualifying from noon to 5.50 p.m. Eastern. Again, all of Saturday on Peacock. That, that's the key. Also Sirius XM, IndyCar Live, IndyCar Radio as well. And then on Sunday, practice 12.30 to 2. And then the top 12 in Firestone Fast 6, 4 to 6 p.m. That's the NBC session, obviously on Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. That's the schedule as of now. Obviously, subject to change due to the weather, but that's where we're at, and I guess it's time to make completely ridiculous predictions. <laughs> well, you know, before we get to that real quick, I kind of want to yeah. ask you, because, you know, throughout the w- the week of practice, look, I've had it on at work. It's kind of in the background. Sometimes it's muted, but I just haven't felt that, you know, most years when I get off work, if there's, you know, going till six o'clock, I'll get home and I'll have it on in the car and then I'll get home and I'll turn it on until, you know, the, the gun goes off at six o'clock. And I just, I haven't felt that urgency this year. I don't know if it's because everybody who's running during practice is going to start the race. I don't know if it's just the lack of, I don't know, the, the, the drama. And part of that is no bumping, but also the fact that I'm looking at a bunch of cars that, are by and large pretty similar to each other. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if I'm the only one. I mean, you know, maybe there's listeners right now going, you know, you're an idiot. But well, I mean, that's that's been proven multiple <laughs> times. But in this respect, in particular, I just haven't felt it. And usually, going into qualifying weekend and Fast Friday, it's like I can't wait. I got to watch all six hours of practice, and then. I'm panicky on my schedule on Saturday morning to make sure I'm home on the couch. Once that number one driver is given, you know, the sign to to hit the track, and I just I haven't felt it this year, Caleb. 
You're just waiting for Brian Barnhart to go out there and say, okay, give me four good ones. Right. And you know, <laughs> we're not even going to get that. Brian Barnhart's only going to yeah. say it to one driver this year. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I really think it's the lack of bumping is having an impact on me following this. Because right now, Stefan Wilson right now is the lowest on speed chart at 222.2. But you know what? He's starting the race. You know, at the very least, we could look at these combined results of practice and pinpoint 34, 35, 36 and say those drivers look like they don't have pace, you know, whether it's in tow or no tow. And the fact that that's not a storyline, I feel maybe is impacting how closely I'm watching practice. Not having bumping, I think, is definitely a factor. I think we get to Fast Friday and the speeds go up. I think your opinion will change because... Once you get the additional boosts and they go up, you know, what, four or five miles per hour, and you have everyone taking to the track to figure out a qualifying setup, you're trying to get a clean lap without a toe, but it's next to impossible, and you're going to see big numbers, you know, 231s, 232s, probably a 233 in practice for sure, maybe even one in qualifying. I think it's possible with Sunday's conditions, if those hold out as overcast and Mid to upper 60s, low 70s, absolutely possible for right. a 233 mile an hour lap. We saw what a 232.5 from Dixon last year. Yeah, and look, don't take. We were talking about this, you know, before we started recording. Don't take this as I want to see carnage, but there's been no drama in terms of a wreck or somebody even brushing the wall, and th- like there's been no. Oh crap! This team has to scramble to get this car ready, or whatever, or teams having issues, or and that kind of goes back to bumping. And you know, even the smallest teams in the entry list are going to make the race. They don't need to scramble and, and and stuff. So it's just been a lot of I don't think monotonous is the right word, but a lot of uneventful running throughout this week, heading into Fast Friday. Well, Justin, that's because they got it out of the way with the open test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite true. And, you know, let, let's bust the open test, right? If we wouldn't have done that, then we're talking right now about the crashes on the warm-up lane over the first couple days of practice. But that's, that's something we haven't talked about this week, which means it's been fixed. So kudos to IndyCar there. Also, there was a Fox on the track. There was. I mean, I, I don't see is it Foxes. Very often? I saw mean, one, uh, or no, it was a coyote that we saw here at work about a month ago Yeah, in the field. Uh, you don't, I mean, the Speedway isn't, it's in a pretty developed area. Like the town, or the town of Speedway is right there, and then it's neighborhoods. I mean, there's not a lot of forest or anything nearby. But there is a creek. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's pretty pretty crazy to see a fox, and he was booking it. Yes, and he avoided the the cars. <laughs> That's the key. Yeah, he did, which is the most important thing. So um, maybe it was a uh, tricky from Pocono. Just could be making his presence known. Hey, come back. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So that's back. that has been the highlight, though, has it not? <laughs> yeah, which I don't know if that says a, a lot about the a fox or a lot about the lack of highlights elsewhere. Well, just wait for Friday. I'm sure we could have something change. Yeah. As always. So there's always there's always something, right? Fast Friday predictions that are sure to be completely wrong. 
Fastest lap. Now, it's going to be a really hot, windy day. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you'll have a wind on one of the straights, which will help the speeds, you know, for half the lap, but not the other half. But highs approaching 90 degrees, windy. Do we see a lap, a practice lap run at 233? No toe or toe? Uh, with, with the toe. Oh, man. I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to say, say no. Because uh, what, our, our fastest is 228.9. And the boost will add... Three to four, usually, right? I, I thought it was four to five. Maybe. I'm going to say no, just because it's going to be so hot. I could see like a 232.8 yes. or something I, like I that. I definitely expect Seven to see eight. 231 and would not be shocked at a 232. I think 233 is just out of reach due to the wind plus just the heat. I mean, it's going to be a lot hotter Friday compared to the other practice days. Could you see it on Sunday? Yes. Okay. Yes, I could. Yeah, maybe I'll do, I'll do that. I, I don't see it happening until Sunday, if it does. Which manufacturer has more cars in the top 10 of the fast speeds at the end of the day Friday? Ooh, man, I'm going to say, because right now it's, I th- I want to say Honda has the edge. I'll I'll stick with Honda right now. Right now, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, six versus four Honda to Chevy. That was practice four. But you have seven out of ten combined results. Seven out of ten are Hondas. Eight out of the 11 are Hondas. I'll go with Honda. Yeah, the only top the, in the top ten right now, the only three Chevys: Renus VK, J.R. Hildebrand, and Joseph Newgarden. So you know, in terms of speeds, you could say McLaren still isn't there, and where's Penske outside of Joseph? All right, next on predictions, talking about top twelve, who is the driver not from one of the we'll call it big four? teams that you expect to make that top 12 ed carpenter oh yeah duh Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i should have asked a better question i should have included ed carpenter i'm gonna go with takuma sato okay yeah i mean that could be relatively safe too i mean sato has shown pace all all uh all week so far so obviously vk another right given suggestion all right with that i I guess who would let's say if you had to pick which rookie would have the best chance of making that top 12? Ooh. Looking at the rookies, I'm going to go with... Uh. <laughs> You're going to blast me, but I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. Oh, you would. You absolutely would. <laughs> That's I, my side. I would, that was not a setup question, folks. I thought I it did was. I not think he was going to go that way. I thought it was a setup. Because uh, <laughs> I didn't think you'd say Jimmy. Um but I'll go, man. Are you going to go with Malukas? No. I mean, he's been up there. I'll say, because I'm impartial to him, because we had him on, I'll say Christian Lungard gets it up there. Yeah, he's he's run clean, been solid, and has so far had a good month. So we'll, we'll see what he can do. And I think now it's time to make the kind of final prediction. Who's your pole sitter? My pole sitter for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 is Alex Pillow. Oh, 
I think Ganassi will be really strong. I think it's easy to pick Dixon. You picked Pillow. I'm going to go with Renus VK. Eddie Carpenter Racing always seems to find a way to find that extra gear, if you will, for qualifying. He's always quick. I think they're the anomaly with the Chevy programs. I, I, I'm almost tempted to pick Will Power because I think I think Penske is kind of held off a bit, to be honest. But I'm going to go with Renus VK. Again, these picks are sure to be terrible. Yes. Whatever you do, don't put money on this. Yes, definitely not. Yeah. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with our picks, please let us know. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. And, Justin, we've had a lot of special episodes. We have. You mentioned we've been doing work. I have. You mentioned Christian Lungard that we had on last week. This week alone, we've had Michelle Della Pena. You probably recognize the last name. She is of the Della Pena Motorsports Next Gen Foundation for girls and, and women in racing. Interesting interview with her. We also had Takuma Sato on talking about the GP and Honda's performance racing with a new team as well this year at Dale Coin Racing with Rick Ware Racing. Had Beth Peretta, the owner of Peretta Autosport, talking about her program partnered with Ed Carpenter Racing for this season and how to help uh, girls and women get more involved in motorsport. And we have uh, David Malukas interview that is dropping Friday. And then we have uh, another set of interviews next week. So a lot to come. And also, while we're at it, Justin, might as well make our special announcement. You're good to go, right? Yes. Carb Day. We will be at IMS for a live show from 3 to 4. Now, this will be on the radio, and then we'll turn into podcast form after the fact. But it'll be our any 500 I guess what, qualifying, recap, and race preview from 3 to 4 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And while we're there, we'll do a meet and greet just after Carb Day practice. What, one fifteen? basically give everyone some time. Just we'll meet in the Pagoda Plaza. You won't be able to miss us because, well, I'll be wearing a new track record T-shirt, but you can get yours online. We have the link on our website at newtrackrecordpodcast.com. You can also buy stickers there. Also, check out our Patreon page. Thanks to Cole and Rob for being our patrons. We'd love for you to hop on board. And you can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. On Facebook, like us to search for New Track Record. And you can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And with all that, Justin, live show. Again, meet and greet, 115, carb day, afternoon, after practice, meet and greet, Pagoda Plaza. And, uh... Yeah, pretty excited. A lot of good stuff going on. Let's go. I'm excited. You know, not just, you know, hopefully some people can make it out and, and enjoy Carb Day and come and swing by and say hi to us and stuff. And then also kind of meeting some of our cohorts. I'm sure some of our podcasting friends will be down there as well. So hopefully we can run into them and, and hobnob and stuff as well. So we're, we're looking forward to it because, you know, a lot of people, you know, over the last couple of years say, hey, you know, when are you guys going to be at a race or when do this? You know, if you're going to Carb Day, definitely make a point to, to meet up with us. We'd, we'd love to 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 talk to you and, and meet you and, and, and really kind of get to know some of the, uh, the, the, the poor people out there that have to listen to us here each and every week. Yes, we do exist. We do, in the flesh. And I think uh, we'll see. Hopefully uh, people come out, have a good time. Love to meet you and hang out and talk IndyCar. So, you know, buy us some uh, some some oil cans. 
Some Fosters, I'm sure. <laughs> I wish they still sold those. I, they do. You still don't believe it. They do. At least last time I was there, they still really? did. Okay. Yes. I, now, I don't know. If, if Roger Penske got rid of them, then we're going to have words. So <laughs> we'll find out next Friday. I'll get down to the bottom of it. Okay, time for the mailbag. And we'll start off with Rate the Race from the Indy GP. How would you rate it? I Good question. I would probably, because I'm stingy, eight and a half. Wow, you're really stingy. I know. I know. <laughs> I Don't thought you were going to say what a 10 would be in my I, mind. I, I have no idea. I expected you to say like nine or nine and a half. I would say, well, I feel like there wasn't much in terms of the end of the race. So that's kind of costed a little bit. But um, yeah, 8.5, I think, is for me pretty solid. I'm a sucker. I'll give it a 10 just because oh. it was. It was a chaos race. It was wild. I enjoyed it. Well, and and this is, you know, asterisk. I'm getting an 8.5 watching it. And you said, you know, watching it as compared to being there live and watching it was no comparison. I was way more entertained while watching it in person compared to on TV. I don't know. I don't know why. I just was. Excellent. All right. Rate the race from our listeners. Plenty of entries here, as always. DC Soda on Twitter says 9.5. One or two fewer cautions to have some more race action. Would be a 10 easy, but what a fun race to try and figure out. The slide by Herta and all the early movement was awesome. Feel great for Daly also. Yeah, you mentioned a great result for Connor Daly, especially after he fell back early on a fuel save, which was puzzling. Right, but it right off out. the bat. Like, yeah, uh, you a know. few laps in. And can we say that the quote of the year from Alexander Rossi, and I, I don't know if you you caught it on the broadcast, and and it was it was bleeped, but basically they were telling him, you know, the number he would have to get to fuel save to win to to to, to compete the race, and basically said f fuel saving, which I feel <laughs> it echoes so many people in the paddock and fans as well. Is uh, he said what was on his mind, and maybe it cost him maybe some positions, but uh, yeah, it was. It was great. It was the the quote of the year, at least so far. I always get sick when they go instantly to the fuel save, like two laps in. Like, can can we not? Can we just enjoy the racing? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like, that's a that's something you uh, you decide not on lap two, right? Yes. Well, I'm I'm talking about the broadcasts. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. Yo. Yeah. They. Yeah. Don't get me started. I, I don't like. Fuel saving, I understand it's part of the game, but uh, unfortunately, and that's the thing, like teams are going to try to find whatever advantage they can, and part of that is, can we make this race happen in one less pit stop? I mean, you're not going to completely get rid of all, any of that. DC Soda also said one more thing. I think Calderon's performance shouldn't be overlooked. To finish up at least 10 spots in those conditions, and at least as far as I saw, not lose control once is really impressive. Yeah. I didn't notice anything with her. Her teammate, Kyle Kirkwood, had several offs. Dalton Kellett's car had to be retired due to contact. But all in all, really solid performance from her in impossible conditions. I would agree. I mean, I feel at this point she's like, I, I don't want to talk points, but I'm going to real quick. Is She's only 10 points behind Kyle Kirkwood in points. That's saying something. And They're Kyle Kirkwood rookies. is... Right, I mean, he's the guy that's oh, he's elevating AJ Foy Racing. Look what he's doing; he's competitive and all that stuff. And he's the best rookie in terms of talent, uh, young talent that the that the series has this year. And he's only ten points ahead of Tatiana Calderon. 
And, and I know that some people are going to say, well, she just outlasted everyone. But in conditions like this, that actually means something. Now, she did do that in a race earlier in the season where she just avoided the carnage. But there, that, this that one takes is, talent sometimes, it, it, right? It does. It really does. In the conditions that we had last Saturday where nearly everybody at some point had an off or a spin or an almost spin, for her not to have any of that was very impressive. Calderon on the season. Again, she skipped the Texas race, but that was her best finish. Yeah. At 15th, also led a lap. I mean, that's the thing. She's only 10 points behind Kyle Kirkwood, and Kyle Kirkwood's done all five races. And he has a top 10 in one of those races. Yeah. So how about some respect for Tatiana? Poet Shevchenko on Rate the Race. For a race like this, you can either rate it a 0 or a 10, and it was too good to be a 0. Gave it a 10. Jamin T14 said I'd give it a 9. It was one of these situations where fans, my kids, in our section were yelling at the guys who kept spinning on every restart because <laughs> they thought their red slicks would work. It was a long, with an emphasis on a lot of O's, final few laps, but a blast to watch. Vicky Lynn 26, 10. And then she went into the stats on passing for this race uh, that we covered earlier. And then top that with Colton Hurt is drifting. It was exciting to watch. Jeremy from HBG said, if you give it a point for every car that hit Grosjean, then it would be a 12. Fun race. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hunter's Way 67 gave it an 8. Great race, but the long yellows were BS. Get back to green IndyCar. Yeah, that's my only complaint. A couple of them were a little lengthy. conditions and everything that was happening, I mean, look, a leader spun out going to a restart. I'll give him a pass in this situation. Human Spectre 1 gave it a 9. What a wild race the whole way through. It was just a shame the TV slot ran out and it turned into a timed race. Some of the cautions were way too long. Could have been started sooner, I think. But so much action on track was a great race. Scuba Steve 85 gave it a 7. Action was interesting. While we weren't having long cautions to reorder the field, how's it that IndyCar still has this problem? Heard his drifting was pretty awesome, though. Transdotion Trojan gave it a 9.5. If I was watching live, it might have been annoyed enough to rate it a 7 because of the long cautions. <laughs> I was watching on replay and kept fast-forwarding through all the yellows. There was hardly a race there. When there was a race happening, though, it was glorious. Was very good. Very, See, most very people most people agreed with us. So my dad definitely in the minority. Maybe the only one. Uh, there are a few who weren't fans. Uh, BK Hickey said not my favorite race on Twitter. Uh, Bill Hessa, the race was really entertaining. Strategies made it interesting. But can't we go green faster? Some of the yellows were excruciating. I mean, that's the chief complaint. Um, D underscore Mart twenty three gave it a ten. When has there ever been an IndyCar race in the past that involved that much drama, strategy, and even guesswork? Can't disagree with that. According to Sitch, gave it a 12. The entire race was redonkulous. That is the perfect, <laughs> perfect term. Perfect word. For what, what we saw. NK Harden gave it a 10. What else could you ask for in a race? Insane number of passes. Strategies all over the place. Top drivers finished in the back. Back mar- markers finished toward the front. Heard of drifting to take a lead. This race had it all. I, I don't disagree. This was about as good as it gets for a race and that's just me and i think the other question is we didn't get peacock numbers and a lot of comments on this dc soda said i pretty much only watch on peacock at this at this point though there's been issues with the side by side for me so maybe i should switch back i i watch on nbc because i have an antenna okay and peacock's delayed and i am that kind of person who doesn't like the delay (laughs) how much of a delay is it 
like 30 seconds. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's significant. I did watch, like, I had to work all last weekend. So I, once I got home, was able to watch on Peacock. And uh, there's a lot of breaks. I will agree that there's a lot of breaks, but they're short, like, they're 30 seconds yes. or something. So in that respect, I'm able to, you know, it's not like Hulu and, with the two or three minute breaks. Right. And you're not you're not waiting for the full break. Like if you're watching it on, you know, live, you have to wait yes. that full time. Like once you're watching it, um, when it's a replay, you don't have to wait that whole time. Other comments on Peacock. Uh, Poet Shevchenko says for the GMR Indie GP, my guess uh, is 15,000 as far as the viewership. Uh, Tyler underscore Allen. I watch via Peacock TV because the storms that moved through Indiana really messed with the over-the-air signal that day. I believe that. Arkle said, I only watch on Peacock TV. Since we don't have cable, I just wish they would make the interface a little more user-friendly. Yeah, that, that is my only real complaint with Peacock. Is I, it's it's not a user-friendly interface and setup. No, it's not very user-friendly. I think it's gotten better. They've made minor tweaks, but you know, even minor tweaks to something that's so bad isn't great. So, yeah, they could definitely do a better job. But if if that's as bad as it gets, I mean, it's a pretty minor thing, wouldn't you say? There's worse things. Yes. Uh, agreed. Like driven. <laughs> couple other uh, Speak for uh, yourself. A <laughs> couple couple other entries on Rate the Race elsewhere in the mailbag. Silent Spades Double Zero gave it a 7 out of 10. Subtracting points for the long cautions. Need a local yellow system or something. Way too many cautions. Otherwise, would have been 10 out of 10. I mean, they have a local yellow system right. in place. I, I even saw it's it just, displayed a couple times. It's tricky. And and that was the first race with that new EM marshalling system. Uh-huh. Which they showed a couple times. Which I noticed it. I did. Did you? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, the, at the track. Yeah. Bunch of blinking and everything. Yes. Good. But, hey, it's it's a start. Sure. Schedule news from Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal. IndyCar not likely to add a new venue to the schedule in 2023 at the moment. That's not final, per Mark Miles. I don't think so on adding a track like Milwaukee Mile in 2023. I wouldn't completely rule it out, but more likely than not, it wouldn't be for next year. Some comments on this. Poet Shevchenko says, as long as any track is making duplicate weekends like the IMS Road Courses, I will complain I don't even care if they find a track that is not Cleveland or Milwaukee. Make it NOLA for all I care. That is my chief complaint with the schedule. I agree with him on that take. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Now we could take us a different way and say, well, if they're not entertaining new tracks next year, does that mean that all the existing races are set to return or they're expected them to return? Which, when is the last time... Did that happen from last year to this year? I and think they so. they added Iowa? I think so. They just took away one Texas, right? I mean, Toronto's an asterisk, right? I mean, it, it wasn't on the schedule last year. I mean, it was on the schedule, but didn't right. happen due to the pandemic. Correct. So, so yeah, that I think, one gets you a know, pass. Continuity is good. So, if we're looking at next year, by and large, everything coming back, or then that's good, I feel like. But I, I agree with you. I would love to be able to get rid of that second Grand Prix race for a legit new venue. The Roth says no board tracks either. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I miss those. Uh, yeah, the one in Cincinnati was uh, was amazing. They had a pretty wild one, I think, in Atlantic City, you know, 100 oh, years ago. Nice. I'm sure it's like <laughs> on Boardwalk Empire. I love that show. I'll see it. Big D Cart said no Cleveland. Get out of here. And Bill Hessa, you're featuring a young Mexican driver every race, and your defending champion is Spanish. 
You want to grow your brand and increase exposure? Mexico or the Southwest U.S. seems a no-brainer to me. I would agree, but I think, and I think Marshall Pruitt made a great point of this in the mailbag is IndyCar is not in the, can, you know, cannot be in the business of seeking races out completely. Like they need to at least meet in the middle with some of these places. And if Mexico City or anybody in Mexico is not yet ready to pull the trigger on an IndyCar race, then it's not going to happen. I also think having more than one Mexican driver, I know there is a driver in lights, and I think he like switched teams or his budget ran out. Manuel Suleiman. Yeah, his yeah name. he's a Mexican driver, yeah. But they need more than one. I mean, Pato's a star, obviously, but for whatever reason, he has struggled to gain traction down there with sponsors and connections for whatever reason. I don't know why. I mean, he's, he's very talented. He is the second most popular driver in the series, according to the survey from last year, right? So right. you would think it would be easier, but it just, for whatever reason, has not gained traction. Now, I think that is changing after last season. I think that comment that I was discussing, I think, came over a year ago, or roughly a year ago, and I think a lot has changed since then. I would agree. It's not yet the right time for IndyCard to expand the schedule, and in a perfect world, it's 20 races, 17 domestic U.S., two in Canada, one in Mexico, right? I, I would say so. I feel like, um, you know, a, a return to, uh, you know, I don't know, Vancouver, potentially. Somewhere in Canada. They need another Edmonton? race. <laughs> Edmonton was fun. Yeah. That airport, though, is gone, right? Oh, I don't know. I think it is. Yeah, whatever. I'm sure they got another airport. Just dodge the 747s. It's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I think ideally that is. But you can't just I, – I really feel they're in a position where they're not going to add an event without um, significant um, chance of success. And I think they're already, when you look at IndyCar, probably taking a bit of a gamble with Iowa. Now, it looks like it's going to have the backing uh, – significant backing – to make it a success, uh, and we've talked about that at length and what Hive's done, but you know that's kind of their we're going on a limb for this this year, and I don't know if they want to make that a a annual thing in terms of taking a chance. I think they want these events to stand on their own, and and right now it doesn't look like there are too many prospects coming to IndyCar to attempt to get a race. A couple other things in the mailbag: a Saders. A-S-A-T-E-R-S on Twitter. He has, this is very helpful, he has a printable scanner frequency guide for it uh, for listeners that need the updated 2022 Indy 500 scanner frequencies. so thank you for that. Also, congrats to the voice Bobby C. Still in first place in our fantasy league, and he met Mario Andretti the other day. Saw that. At IMS, so that's pretty cool. Did he go for a two-seater ride? It looked like he it was looks about like, to. I mean, he had this, the fire suit on, so yeah. I'm guessing he did. That's awesome. That's Absolutely. That's a thrill of a lifetime. They'll have to tell us how that was. Fernando Alonso says the aero screen has dimmed his interest in returning to the Indy 500. Some comments on this. N.K. Harden, I get it. He got his butt kicked by everyone the last couple attempts. Now he's trying to throw dirt on it and say it wasn't any fun anyways. I think we all did this when our seventh grade girlfriends broke up with us. We never liked her anyways. Enjoyed running 14th in F1 every week. Ouch. <laughs> Zaxi8771 says, I'm still a big Alonso fan, but I'll never pretend like he's not a salty diva. LOL. And thought he had one other comment on 
Alonzo. Not seeing it pop up here. Uh, P. Gaynor 14 says, you're right. This is in response to Emma Dixon. This is a good topic to unwrap and explore, asking for our thoughts on it. And, and Emma said, basically, please, can we chill out on calling drivers who are over 35 veterans all the time? They're drivers. Did Mario and AJ, when they were driving in their 50s, have to listen to the same weird lingo? Veteran Ed, Veteran TK, Veteran Scotty, it's bizarre. Um, I don't <laughs> – first off, let's go to Alonzo. Fernando Alonzo's thing is – Fernando Alonso wants to be able to come over here and put, I want to say, minimal amount of effort, but basically run the 500 only and be competitive. And he was able to do that prior to the arrow screen, right? Well, half the time. Sometimes, yeah, in the right situation, <laughs> right? But One now, time it worked, the other time not so much. Yeah, but now it's a little bit difficult. And I, and I told you earlier today, look, if Graham Rahal had come out and said, look, we can't race as close and – you know, dip and dive and dodge as much as we were able to prior to the arrow screen. I think that's obvious, really, at this point. You realize you you said the four Ds of dodgeball. Yes, dip, I did. Duck, dive, and dodge. Yes. So that's. I mean, that's obvious. That's pretty much what Fernando Alonso said. Is you know the racing it's tougher to pass, and that's accepted, right? So. If Graham Rahal would have said it, we wouldn't have a problem. The fact that it's Fernando Alonso and people have you know opinions of Fernando Alonso, that's where they're kind of throwing him under the bus. And you know, like he's not getting any younger. And I feel like if he's going to do, he's never going to do the full season. I don't think he's ever going to do any other races outside of the Indianapolis 500, except maybe for the GP. And so he wants to be able to go in and compete right away. And you know, at this point in the current configuration, he's probably not going to be able to. No, I, I don't think so. And unless. Montoya is is done, and Alonzo slots back in that. I I don't think he has an opportunity. That's yeah. okay. I mean, he it's not like he hasn't had his chances. Three runs, uh, did not qualify once. A uh, race where he led laps and was very competitive till the engine blew up. Another, and then completely nondescript effort in twenty twenty. I mean, it, it was like he was MIA the whole race. Yeah, what he finished like in twentieth or something. Yeah, completely like non-factor. Uh, in terms of the Emma Dixon thing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, veteran is a is a pretty established, well used word in America. I don't know if it's different in England, Britain, and New Zealand. I don't know. I just it was kind of a bizarre issue. If only me. her tweet on Friday of last week talking about how Dixon's had a <laughs> horrible car and it's been unfair with the team all season. Those, that, if that's only what, she didn't delete that. That's the Emma Dixon that we want to yes. hear, you know? Yes. As, as reserved and, and you know, th- th- that Scott Dixon is, uh, low-key. I mean, Emma Dixon's the firecracker in that relationship. Tell you what. And she's just as or more competitive than, I would say, Scott and most of the drivers. I mean, yeah. she's a former Olympic runner. Right. Like, <laughs> she's got an edge, and she doesn't mind throwing it out there and maybe saying the things that that Scott maybe tells her you know when he's home and they're relaxing and and then she goes and, and tweets you know whatever it is but this particular argument I'm not seeing the issue I would agree this from Zaxi8771 also on Alonzo this is what I was looking for Alonzo's comments really are some bull but at the same time he's kind of highlighting just how bad we need a new chassis if an active car driver made similar complaints we'd be 
uh, taking them in a different light, I think. And and you touched on that. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. If Graham Ray Hall makes the same comments, we're not, you know, crapping all over him. It's the fact that Fernando Alonso said it something. And, you know, that that is realistic at this point. But I, I, I look, we all like passing for sure, but you know, safety's of paramount importance. So I don't think you know, we can come go back and say, you know, the aero screen was was not important because it is. And then finally, from the tweet side, we have a couple email questions. A lot of stuff to get to in the mailbag. No no surprise this week. Colton heard us on a new track record at IMS. One million miles per hour. I counted the zeros. <laughs> one million miles per hour. There are a lot of timing and scoring issues today on the chart. That was not one of them. That's legit time. <laughs> speed. So uh, I said ludicrous speed. Yes. Space, and, great Spaceballs reference. Yes. Transocean Trojan said, he going to space. That is right. So... Colton Herta, you know, I can't believe we didn't pick him because he went one million miles an hour. Right, it's obvious. At IMS. Well, he, they're he sandbagging the otherwise. That is right. All right, a couple of email questions to get to, then we'll move on to news and notes. First off, from Ron from North Carolina. I just have one comment. Steve Latart is terrible on the Peacock broadcast. He needs to go and be replaced by Jan Bikas. Please do all you can to make this happen. I wish we had a say because I think we'd both have Jan Bikas back on in a heartbeat. Yeah. Was was Steve Letard only on today or has he been on all week? I'm uh, not that's sure how much I haven't been watching. Today, or at least listening. But he drew the ire of every IndyCar fan by basically saying there's too much practice time. Well, and and I think somebody made the comment, and I don't know if it was on our um Twitter or I just saw it randomly, is he he has to associate everything with NASCAR. And, and I'm not I mean, he he's a NASCAR guy, so that's what he knows. And that's the frustrating thing, is they're having to bring NASCAR guys over when they have perfectly capable people that know the ins and outs of IndyCar sitting on the sidelines that they could just bring on and hire instead. Well, and they have extra people. Like, I mean, Dylan Welch has done a lot more this season, especially on the Peacock side. He gets IndyCar. We all know that. Parker Kligerman has been on, and he's more of a NASCAR guy, but he just loves racing. I think he gets IndyCar as well. If, if you're going to bring a technical person, a behind-the-wall type guy or girl on board, then you need to do it with an IndyCar person, not a NASCAR person. Yes. And I don't know if, if NBC is like too naive or just doesn't care to do it, because Steve Letard is not bringing in extra viewers. I can see why Dale Jr. is on there, and Dale Jr. can kind of expand things, do some some profile pieces and stuff like that. I understand why you bring Dale Jr. on. I understand why you bring Danica on. Uh, not just because of a variety of things, is her personality, her looks, and the fact that she's an IndyCar driver. But bringing Steve Letard in, you're not gaining a single extra viewer having Steve Letard as part of that crew i would agree they it's just showing the gap and not having someone be able to really go over the technical side i think townsend and hinchcliffe do a solid job in the booth on that but they don't have someone like in the pits or the peacock pit box if you will that can give that kind of level of insight on a technical level and you know the, the the pit reporters can do it to a certain extent but not the next level type stuff that you're getting when you're watching Larry McReynolds on Fox. Yes. You know what I mean? 
So look, I, I you can under you can explain what a wicker is for the fourth time, and you can you can explain how you can move the wing around for the for, for the eighth time, and enough know. downforce to go upside down, travel a football field in <laughs> a second. Oh wait, sorry, this no, is that's an, ABC. This is not an ABC broadcast. But, My apologies. You know, how many times have we seen over the last couple of years going through the buttons on the steering wheel? I don't need that anymore. I understand that it's a technical piece of equipment, and this just does this, and this does this. That's the extent of the the technical stuff we're getting from NBC. I, I just need need next level things, and you're not getting that with Steve Latar. He's always going to reference NASCAR, and that's what he knows, so that's what he's going to do. But Justin, I need to know if the cars are in lockstep or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, one other fan question via email, Podcast at gmail.com. This is from Spencer. He says, hey, guys, thanks again for all you do. I've only gotten into IndyCar in the last year, and you guys have been an awesome resource to keep me excited, even on the off weekends. Thank you, Spencer. Background, all my life I've been an avid fan of motocross and supercross. I've come to see a lot of parallels in those sports and IndyCar, both in these sports themselves, but also in the fan bases. They are overly critical at times, will kick and scream at the thought of any kind of change, but above all, they are passionate. Both sports constantly teeter the line of catering to the casual fan and going in-depth for the hardcore fan, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Question. Do you think we, as current fans of IndyCar, actually want to see the sport's interest grow, or do we only want people to enjoy it for exactly what it is with no changes? It's kind of like, at what level are we willing to sacrifice the core of the sport in favor of mainstream growth? I'd love to hear your take on this. Thanks. I love this question. Yeah. And I think I thought of an answer. Okay. What do you got? I think fans are on board as long as you don't get wildly into too many gimmicks. And we've seen that exact example play out with NASCAR. Sure. IndyCar fans, look, do we tolerate double points? Yes. Do we like it at the Indy 500? I I mean, the argument can be made either way. Do we like some of the gimmicks like the the red tires, and which will soon be the green tires, push to pass? Yeah, I think overall we've come to accept it, but it's not, you know, so far outside the box. We don't have playoffs. We don't have a lucky dog. We don't have competition cautions and stages. To me, if you go too far down that road, like I think NASCAR has to alienate their their fan base, and I think some of those fans are coming back because they, they have a young crop of drivers that are exciting and, and kind of breathing new life into the sport that, quite honestly, I think was just kind of – in the abyss for a few years up until a year or two ago. Sure. And having guys like Chase Elliott, uh, I, I get love him or hate him, but, I mean, he's a name and he's a draw for Cup, and then obviously Kyle Larson as well, and you can go down the list. But I think you go too far in that direction, you will lose the hardcores. And I don't think any car is ever going to do that because that's just not how they operate. It's a delicate balance between trying to gain new fans – Young fans that have different, whether it's um, whether it's attention spans or expectations mm-hmm. or what excites them, that can be different from the 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds, you know, particularly when you get up to those advanced ages that are absolute racing purists, that are open wheel purists, that back in my day type people. And 
it is very much like you have to please them all, and that's impossible, right? But you try to appease both parties, and you have to look at the future of your sport because you're going to rely on those younger demographics to eventually be the base of your fan base. So it can be a delicate balancing act, and you just you try. It's like a teeter totter. You try to keep it as even as possible, and sometimes it'll swing one way, and then you have to do something to kind of even it back out. And that's the battle, I think, for. For racing series at this point that are starving for for eyes on product is what do you do to better the show in your opinion but not get away from your core values and the core of of what you are and it's a never-ending battle and people much smarter than us have to fight that battle each and every day in indycar a couple of other things i skipped over in the mailbag apologies you posted a poll when does the third oem get announced this month Zero percent said this week. Ten percent said qualifying weekend. Sixteen percent carb day. Seventy-four percent said keep dreaming, losers. <laughs> Love the poll question. DC Soda says the third OEM is always coming. And poet Shevchenko says IMSA got their fifth GTP manufacturer, Lamborghini confirmed. So to give up hope for any car at this point would be defeatist. I'm not feeling hopeful, to be honest. Well, at some point, right, has to happen. That's right, and then. Depster one on our Beth Pareto episode said, I really like Beth's strategy this year. Her point about giving her people experience at other tracks is a good one. And I think the tracks she picked suit Simona well too. Yes, I, I would agree. And while I, I think I'm not frustrated so much that she went in a different direction as far as the Indy 500 goes, I think I'm more frustrated that it seems like the series and she would not say this and rightfully so. I am speaking for me, not for her. I feel like the series let her down in the transition and in, in trying to set up. There, To me, there's no reason this entry should not be in the Indy 500 this year, along with doing the additional races. Yeah. I, I think why it was so difficult just to get that 33rd entry that ultimately went to a combination of Dragon Speed, Cusick Motorsports with Stefan Wilson driving, A.J. Foyt providing a lot of equipment, and obviously a, a car, a road course car at that, that had to be converted. It just shows that we, we need more ownership and these one-off or smaller teams. I mean, we haven't had a new team enter the sport that's gone to full-time since Meyer Shank. They entered in 2017, and it took them, what, f- four years? It was 2021 the first full season for them? Uh, yeah, they gradually came in right so it's it's frustrating to me and it is what it is i hope they have success they could add a fourth race later in the season they got a a sponsor partner with kiwico that i think is a really good fit for the program what they're trying to do we'll see how it goes but i I just i feel like they're kind of shut out well and and look i've been vocal too on on the fact that Peretta Autosport hasn't got the support that they were, you know, promised or thought they were going to get beginning next last year, and but we also have to look at the comments of Roger Penske over, you know, the time as well. Is, you know, he's said at least twice that you know one of the priorities for IndyCar is their existing teams and making sure that they're as financially sound as possible and and all that. And you can look at the the but they are circle. financially sound. Are they? I mean, but. Most of them, right? But I, th- I think how many of them? Look, I-, I think we could agree we wouldn't have twenty six, twenty seven full time starters without the leader circle. 
Yes, I agree right? with that. And the leader circle goes up to 22. Two, which of 20. I feel needs to go up or deeper. I you think to, if you enter the full season, you should be getting I would agree. some sort of cut. Yeah, and I'm surprised that's not a bigger point of discussion is while we're seeing increased commitment to full-time programs, you're not seeing the expansion of that leader circle. And I get it, you know, it's not my money, so it's easy to say, yeah, you got to throw <laughs> another $5 million into the leader circle to cover five more uh, full-time rides. But if we're taking care of our, quote-unquote, existing teams, I would feel like that would be a priority, right? So how that looks, the, the, the support for these teams, I'd be very interested to know because Roger Penske has said it, priority is on our existing teams. I, while it's easier, quote unquote, easier to come into the series than it was for Meyer Shank the first time he tried, I still do feel like there's significant hurdles. But as we've mentioned a couple times before, Caleb, some of these teams that are trying to get in the door need to make a bigger financial investment in their infrastructure to then get assistance from the series and from the teams. And, you know, th- that's pointing right at the chassis, you know. Everything from a chassis to a hauler to equipment to crew is, if you're going to do this, then finance it correctly and don't just try to say, okay, we have a driver and some funding and we're going to call ourselves a team and we need to rent everything else. We're seeing that shift because of how this spring went for these one-off possibilities where Stefan Wilson got the ride, but between R.C. Enerson, Sebastian Saavedra, Catherine Legg, um, who else? I know Ryan Hunter Ray was in the discussion, but he didn't really bring any sponsorship from I mean, Stephen Wilson before yes, it all before came together. It came together. I, I feel like I'm missing a, a driver or two. I know Charlie Kimball may have been in the conversation, but for a lot of these entries, I mean, get a chassis and then find your driver. The, they're finding the driver and they're finding the sponsor, and finding the sponsorship is becoming easier, which is a good thing. Sure. But you have to have the car. To run on the track and that's i think the change that will happen next year and, and these teams and team owners and drivers they've kind of learned their lesson because of the expansion of full-time entries with existing teams relying on that technical partnership is just not as good of an option as it used to be because the teams would rather just expand in-house well and i think this is a, a- I don't know if it's a concern, but a consideration going forward is what we have 26, 27 full timers. 26. 26. So what's the max? Do you think 30? Uh, I think the max is 28. So you can't expand much more. No. So that's the thing is like, you know, we're kind of looking at it as like, you know, more teams want to enter and we're talking full time entries. We're not talking in the only entries, but we're looking at it is there's really not much room to expand here. I mean, Hunkos wants to add a second car for next year. So let's say, and and this is you know contingent on everybody else can keeping their existing cars. McLaren's adding a third car, right? So right away you're at 28 next year. Right now, if you add those two and everybody else comes back, as and then is. Ed Carpenter Racing could. I mean, they say they could add. So then you're looking at 29. So where are you? Ex, you know, Preda Autosport obviously wants to expand. Cusick Motorsports, Dragon Speed. I mean. So you're up against it. Like I feel like anything north of 30 is too many cars. I would agree. As far as a, a regular non any 500 Correct. And so and 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 just logistically some of these tracks are already at their max, right? Mid-Ohio, 
is one, I think. Toronto. Toronto. You know, you're looking at probably St. Petersburg that I think is kind of almost maxed out with their availability. They'll have to make some changes. So it's not like we're 18 full-time cars and it's very difficult to get into the series, right? That would be a problem. But we're at 26 right now. There's a couple teams out there that want to expand for next year, and things kind of ebb and flow, and you know, you subtract a car here, but add one. I mean, you look at Team Penske. Could they add a fourth car for somebody down the road? Maybe not next year, the year and, after. And nine teams, right? Yeah, so... We have a, a dearth of teams. That's the ultimate And maybe issue. that goes back, like, you, you know... You mentioned it. You know, financially, you have to feel most of these teams are on good financial ground with the amount of cars they're fielding. So, I guess my all-encompassing question is, where do you put the growth at this point? You know, any five hundred only entries and partial schedules. A lot of those turned into full-time entries, right? And you know, there's always the the never-ending question of Dryer and Reinbold is, do you race more races? That's two cars sitting there that conceivably. You know, maybe not run a full season, but, you know, do they pick up three, four races next year? Who knows? And they did that a couple years ago. Yeah, so we need more ownership. I understand that. But at the same time, you're going to reach a point where you're going to start having cars not make races outside of the Indianapolis 500. You're actually going to have legitimate qualifying. Start and park, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Start, park, get that leader circle check. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Okay. That wraps up the mailbag. Let's rifle through news and notes. A couple of tidbits from IndyCar Deep Throat. Our insider says, got an interesting message from my owner source. There's been a stalemate with Toyota and IndyCar for the OEM negotiations at the moment. Sounds like there's some steps still yet to be resolved. The risk for this negotiation is still taking time to get over the line, so it can push the timeline of them joining by a year. It seems like this keeps stalling out, unfortunately. Yeah, there seems to be more and more issues with it. Really, all there is to it, because you were hopeful that this would would have been announced already, and if not, well, by... we were talking about the first to the you know potentially yeah. January, right? And it's May, and this is where when you would want to do it, right? All you know, absolutely, most eyes carb on your day product. would be the perfect day. Yeah, but doesn't sound like this is imminent at all. A couple of driver rumors: Nicholas Satifi leaked uh, for Renus VKC to Ed Carpen Racing for twenty twenty three. That's with Renus getting a payday somewhere else, contingent on. McLaren, that's the, the rumor. Elsewhere, uh, Ryan hunter Ray interested in coming back full-time next year. It's not a surprise. He's kind of mentoring Callum Eilat with Hunkos and has been doing that most of the season. Also, hunter Ray development deal with Ganassi on the sports car side. Saw that. Crazy that he hadn't been picked up. But uh, IMSA development role, good for RHR. And again, he wants to be back in the series next year. This is not a surprise. He passed on that Hunko seat for the Indy 500 this year, from what we understand. But I don't know if he'll be a full-time guy. I think it just depends on what seats open up and who's available. And that's kind of where we're at. I don't know if teams are going to be clamoring for a driver that is north of 40 years old and hasn't won in a, several years yes and I, doesn't I bring a lot of money great indy 500 one-off entry absolutely very competitive there was even competitive last year uh in the race but i don't like you said i don't see i mean hasn't full-time. won since 2018 yes he's 41 years old doesn't bring a big check i just find it hard to believe that he finds a full-time ride somewhere 
Elsewhere, Stefan Wilson, Cusick Motorsports, would like to do another race this season. So that's already begun. We haven't even run the Indy 500 yet, but that's where we're at. Also, taking a look at Foyt, they plan to test some new prospects on the Indy Road Course coming up here in a few weeks for evaluation. That will be in in June. Early uh, Early look at who could replace Kyle Kirkwood. I mean, so are we looking Indy Lights? I believe so. Probably. No no drivers were named, but I would assume Linus Lundquist, you would hope, would be one of them. Yeah, right now he is the leader in the championship. So Um, that's, that's the update there. And Marshall Pruitt mentioned there are rumors about rocket funding going away for Foyt, but Larry Foyt quickly shot that down and man that'd be quick right they were talking yeah. about being all in and what two full-time entries primary sponsor to going away thankfully it, it sounds like that's it that's a non-starter also there's a question in the mailbag the eraser.com mailbag with marshall pro and hard to follow so we're gonna do the best we can to decipher because they're it's not one question it's multiple questions okay as far as yep. adding teams yes uh Yes, Marshall says be be nice to see uh, more teams. And I mentioned Meyer Shank was the newest team to join the series and eventually go full-time. Meyer Shank back in 2017. Any new teams that might have heard rumors about, Marshall says yes. Hunko's going to add a second car for 2023. He says maybe. And then odds of Cusick, Dragon Speed, or Dragon Reinbold expanding beyond the Indy 500 says slim to none. About Dale Coyne, uh, Vassar Sullivan having a chassis with Coin will expand the 2023 season. If Dale wanted to run three cars and had someone paying for the third car to run, he'd be running a third car. Talking about the Enersons. If the Enersons find or want to spend many millions, they'll be on track. And then with entries already in place, most teams support themselves by running multiple cars, so you won't find Foy or Ganassi just dropping down to fewer entries unless it can't be avoided. So there you go. There's a, a complete breakdown of things. And I feel like, you know, man, so many people are asking, what about new teams? What about new teams? What about new teams? That's fine, but there's not a lot of spots to be had on track. Like, you know, this isn't the days of we're starting 20. We're starting 26 right now, each and every race, sometimes 27. And, you know, anything north of 30, you start kind of thinking this is too many. Some other uh, notes on... IndyCar on the business side, first off, as far as ticket sales for the Indy 500, Nathan Brown says more than 90% of grandstand seats are sold. This was right before GMR GP. Blackout unlikely to be lifted. Status of local Peacock subscribers unclear. That's something to keep in mind, and I'm sure we'll get a clear answer on that probably next week. Also, IndyCar finally has a sports betting partner, Caesars. Sign, as, sign on as the official sports betting partner of IMS and the Indy 500. They have a lounge at the Pagoda Plaza for major events in 2022. And they have a launch promo, $106 in bets for users who download the app and make a $20 deposit. Can you get, So you can get Caesars in Indiana? Yes. Mm. Like on the app. They have to do that. Not like I don't bet enough already. But what, what, what's, what's a third one? Because the fact <laughs> is... If if it is affiliate, then it if it's affiliated, it probably has a significant amount of IndyCar bets on there. One would think. Ideally, I, I don't know if they're on the level of what DraftKings is the top. Well, DraftKings, like I mean, right now I cannot 
bet qualifying. Uh, they still only have, you know, being able to bet the winner of the 500. So at the very least, if I get on Caesars, could I bet qualifying route this weekend? Maybe. I am not sure. I Mark mean, Miles. I'm down for losing money. Mark Miles uh, disagreeing with Liberty EO Greg Maffey's assessment. The Sky Sports F1 coverage trumps NBC Sports Indy 500 coverage. And he spoke <laughs> to Maffey in recent days to question why Maffey suggested that publicly. It's all posturing, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Adam Stern as well on this. IndyCar on the 10-yard line to striking a deal with a media company, likely a digital streaming platform, to shoot a new unscripted docuseries around the open-wheel racing property per Mark Miles. IndyCar working with a producer, which is handling the talks. We keep hearing they're close, right? But meanwhile, USA Network will air two NASCAR-themed series, including a Drive to Survive-type docuseries and a reality show featuring Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon has... (laughs) Man, that's yeah. the best you can get, huh, for a live series, live action. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty wild. As far as attendance goes, Stern says slightly over 300,000 people for the Indy 500. There are about 20,000 tickets ahead of where sales were in 2019, 20,000 tickets behind the rate in 2016 for the 100th running. This was as of earlier this week, so that could have changed. And the warm-up lane issues, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star says – between the open test and now the track has been steam washed power washed roller brushed and they rubbed 120 firestone red tires <laughs> section of the track to remove anything problematic uh, to remove anything that's on the surface a friction tested that as well compared them to baseline from april and they're basically equal to the racetrack also tony canon drove the two-seater ims last fall after the new compound was laid down Thought something fell off, but figured it may have just been the car itself. IMS put him back in it recently, and Bull said TK was really pleased where it was. So that should be a non-factor. Should have just uh, paved it with bricks. <laughs> Good point. And Roger Penske stepped up to provide the funding shortfall for Miles Rowe so he can continue the full USF 2000 season, which is excellent. He's basically paid for the ride again himself. Nice. Ain't invested a million dollars in the underside of Tower Terrace. I never would have noticed because yeah, I was either. under there. But uh, another Nathan hey, that's Brown a million, article. Like, I'm not going to judge anything Roger Penske does. That could have been a million dollars of leader circle. It could have been 23 cars instead of 22. I'm just saying. But awesome for him to step up for Miles Rowe. And Nathan Brown of the Indy Star reporting that a major sports car race could come to IMS as soon as next year. I don't think this is a surprise. F1 does not seem to be an option. But that's uh, where we're at, and I think an IMSA race would be quite good to be added on. I would agree. A.J. Foyt got a baby board to commemorate his 65th consecutive year at the Indy 500, so congrats to A.J. Also, I can't believe he didn't have a baby board before. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, awesome. And I'm like, you really didn't have one? Elio just picked up his fourth a few days ago. So that's where we're at. Long overdue for AJ. And a few other notes as far as pre-race stuff. This stuff is beyond me, but (laughs) you know how this goes, right? What do we got? So we have Jordan Fisher, actor, singer, and musician, who's performed in Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, Rent, and Grease, will perform the national anthem. Okay, never heard of him. And then we have... And this one is way beyond me. The winners of The Voice, a girl named Tom, will sing America the Beautiful. 
They were winners of The Voice last year. That's the NBC tie-in. Also, I don't know if you saw this. Hartman Oil is featured on uh, the one of the Dreyer and Reinbold cars, Santino Ferrucci, on the and that's cool. front wing well, in plate. Oil prices have bounced back significantly. Just go fill up your car. So Wink Hartman uh, back, and I guess he's providing assistance with that team. And uh, he has been a strategist. Really? Oh, sorry, sorry. Correction. Buddy Rice is the strategist ah. for that machine, and Buddy Rice has been involved with that team for several years, so that really shouldn't come as any surprise. And then Colton Herta, his F1 testing program could eventually lead to practice outings on Grand Prix weekends with the team. Again, not a surprise at all. And uh, with that, oh, one other schedule note. The practice session on Monday has shifted from 12 to 2 p.m. to 1 to 3 p.m., to give those who are participating in the Fast 12 and Fast 6 on Sunday some more time to switch their call, uh, cars from qualifying trim to race trim. All right, tweets of the week. First one. Yes. We have Callum Eilat. So he gave a hot lap ride to Ashton Kutcher uh, in Miami for the F1 weekend. Gotcha. Eilat says, fun fact, I had no idea that was him. I was just thinking to myself that this guy sounds awfully familiar. Then when he was getting out, I realized, oopsie. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. Uh, Tony DeZeno talking about the race uh, Saturday. Carlos Huertas is probably watching this race somewhere and laughing. Yeah. And then I think my favorite one, someone uh, asked Marco Andretti, any reason you aren't listed on the radio frequencies? Do you have one you can post? Thanks. And he just responded, I swear too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That is true. I'm surprised you didn't put any of the uh, you know the shenanigans with drivers at the 500 so far this week or the, the IMS with uh, with Connor Daly in the uh, the hot tub of Orbeez. Yes, was, was pretty. Comedic. Am I am I a terrible person? I will admit this. The pranks are fun when they're on like social media, but then they get picked up by everyone else. Yeah, and I get, yeah. I get tired of it yeah. like instantly. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Like when they're spontaneous and they're not like overblown. Totally. But then they're like, oh, who's going to do next with the prank war and blah, blah, blah. Like, I like it when it's just a driver thing. Yes. It's it's just with them. And occasionally, you know, Connor Daly posts something on what happened or whatever. You know, what was it a couple years ago where they put somebody's um, golf cart wheels on the top that of the Rossi, right? RV? Yeah, I mean those things are cool, and I like it when it's just it's the drivers and it's their own thing. And but then you know media picks it up, like you said, and they start asking the drivers about it and what are you going to do and blah blah. blah. I was just like you know it just becomes commercialized. I really like it when it's it's a driver thing. It 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 goes from being uh, like a hipster thing to too mainstream. That's basically what we're saying. Right. Yeah. I I like it when we're it's exhausting. Their own thing. I'm sorry. We're exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Random split air driver of the week time. All right, you know what I started doing is is you know I I, I dabbled in some different years that we usually haven't, and I looked at the 2003 cart season, which is also the final, the cart uh, the of the Champ Car World Series, and it was a shell of itself. This is when it became the Bridgestone presents the Champ Car World Series powered by Ford. Yes, and the the it was a new logo too, wasn't it? The funky cart thing with like the yes weirdo a. i don't even remember that logo to yeah, be honest me neither but this is a treasure trove treasure trove of random split air drivers of the week like we have another four months 
of content here, folks. But I'm going to narrow it down to just one and go with Dale Luis? Coin Racing. Oh. Uh, I was going to guess Luis Diaz. Well, I was thinking, but then this one jumped out at me. Galter Salas? No, Joel Camathias. Yeah, never heard of this guy. This guy raced, let me look, uh, he raced seven races that year and out of Switzerland. The best story about this guy so far from I've, I've read, read through this, he was born in Lugano, Switzerland, okay? His primary sponsor on his car that year was the city of Lugano. The city stepped up and sponsored him in cart that year. Raced seven races for Dale Coyne Racing. Best finish, a ninth in his debut at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Uh, driven Previously driven sports cars. Then he returned to Europe to drive in the Le Mans Series and the FIA GT Championship in 05 and 06 after his one year uh, in cart. Uh, he also won the G2, GT2 class of Le Mans in, uh, with the Porsche 911 in, I don't even say what year it was. He did that sometime, 2006. I will say his results, I mean, he's solidly mid-pack. Well, how many cars were starting? That's a good point. <laughs> so um, let's click on his, like, the. Uh, let's see, when the, the infamous 2003 There were German 19 500. cars at St. Pete. And there were 19 at the, uh, at the Euro Speedway. Um, and that was the return of Alex Zernardi back there from his wreck in 2001, but he finished 18th out of 19th starters. So, deceiving numbers. I forgot about this. This was the season where the race at Fontana, the King Taco 500, was canceled due to wildfires in the area. Yeah. That was going to be the season finale. Really? But most of these races, I mean, they're already down to 19 cars by this season. But they have 19 races. Well, 18 after Fontana was canceled. I mean, how many though are on their last legs? But they at, had at that Saint. Point? So the seven that uh, that uh, Joel competed in: Saint Pete, Monterey. They lost Mexico. Toyota and Honda to the IRL for yeah. that season as well. Although it was still the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach that year. Well, that was the uh, California, like Southern California Toyota dealers. Yeah, uh, they went to. Uh, where were they? What's Brands Hatch? They raced a Brands Hatch that year. Um, back to the Lozitz Ring, Milwaukee, and Laguna Seca. Those were the seven races that uh, Kamathias raced in. But l- look at that. You know, you got Cleveland. People want Cleveland back. Vancouver. People want Vancouver back. You got Montreal in there. The infamous Denver Grand Prix through the streets of Denver. <laughs> Um, you got the downtown Miami race. You have two Mexico races because you have Mexico City um, and Monterey that year. Of course, Surfer's Paradise as well. So it's not a bad schedule. It's just terrible field. And like I said, absolute Trevor, treasure trove of random split era drivers of the week. But that's it for this week. The city of Lugano sponsoring Joel Camathias in 2003 in his seven-race stint with Dale Coyne Racing in cart. This week's Random Split Era Driver of the Week. There you go, and that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week again. Special episode, live show next Friday 
at IMS on Carb Day, 3 to 4. Also broadcast in the Fort Wayne area on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM and streaming live at 1380thefan.com as well to listen worldwide. And we'll do a meet and greet 115 in the afternoon after Carb Day IndyCar practices wrapped up in the Pagoda Plaza. So, And more special episodes to come with drivers next week as well. So a, a lot to get to and... Well, we'll recap all of it and get you prepared for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500, along with all our special uh, special driver episodes as well. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.